0: but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the word of the Lord. I guess that means that I'm up. Well, it's good to be here again. And uh, although I hadn't expected to be and it's unfortunate circumstances that I should be here and I hope that you're all continuing to keep uh, Pastor Martin in prayer, as uh, Marvin in prayer as he uh, recovers from that uh, that road accident. Um, those of you who are here um, or were watching on YouTube will recall that last week uh, Pastor Doug Mott uh, led us through the first eight verses of Hebrews chapter 6. And early on in the sermon, he quoted one biblical scholar who described those verses as perhaps the most severe warning that occurs anywhere in the pages of the New Testament. The words that he was referring to were in um, verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews uh, chapter 6, and they were these. It is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. It is impossible to restore them. They are crucifying the Son of God. Can you imagine more telling words of condemnation Imagine if you were among those, hearing those words uh, for the very first time. I can almost hear the stunned silence and see the, uh, the faces of the congregation turn gray uh, as the dreadful meaning of what they were hearing began to sink in. Could it really be true? Might it be possible for someone who is a believer to put themselves in a place where they're actually outside the reach of God's grace. Well, a few weeks ago, um, I told you that my introduction to Hebrews came when I was part of a student Bible study at university, and to this day, I clearly remember both the puzzlement uh, and the fear and the fierce debate that erupted when we came to these verses. You mean it's possible to lose your salvation And very quickly, the discussion spilled out of our little group and into the wider campus fellowship. And some of those in the fellowship began to worry that uh, they might find that one day they might find that God had rejected them. Fortunately, our very wise and patient staff member uh, got wind of what had now become a full fledged debate. Yes, he said, those are stern words, but take a moment to look at what the author says two verses later. So we opened our Bibles, and what did we find but these words? Though we speak in this way, yet, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure of better things. You may not have noticed it. Um, At least not unless you know the Greek of the New Testament, you may not have noticed it, but... um, because the Greek term is translated several times into English, but this is actually the second time that the author of the letter to the Hebrews uh, uses that word better. And I draw your attention to it because um, he will use it again on another nine occasions before we finish uh, the letter to the Hebrews, a total of 11 times. In fact, it's one of his favorite words, better. And outside of Hebrews, It's found only four times in the whole rest of the New Testament. And the first time we find it in Hebrews is chapter 1, verse 4, where the author tells us that Jesus is infinitely superior to the angels. And the final time will be in chapter 12, verse 24, where the author tells us that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you will know that Abel's blood cried out of the guilt and condemnation of his brother Cain. Jesus' blood cries out for the forgiveness and restoration of sinners like you and me. And thus, when our author writes, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, he means stronger, higher, superior, And so the letter moves very swiftly from warning, as we heard last week, to encouragement, from condemnation to hope. So let's take the next few minutes um, to see for ourselves what reasons the first readers of this letter had, even in the midst of their weariness and despondency, to take courage and to regain their hope. And if you have a Bible, you might want to open it in front of you so we can follow these verses through closely. And if you want a Bible, there's a whole lot of them at the back of the church if you want to take a moment and, uh, and get one right now. Well the reasons for encouragement come in three pairs. In work and love, in verse 10. In earnestness and hope, in verse 11. And in faith and patience, in verse 12. sorry, work and love, earnestness and hope, faith and patience. So turning to verse 10, where the author writes, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. Now, in our day uh, and age, we think of love as an emotion, uh, it's when you're attracted towards another person. Could be romantically. It could be because you've shared a common experience, or have a common interest, or any other any other of a number of a whole host of reasons. Our English language is poor in that we only have that one word for love. In the Greek of the New Testament, there are actually three words that we translate love in, in into love in English. There was one that describes a love that unites friends with one another. There are people who've been uh, my friends for decades, and in some cases we may not have seen each other for years. But when we do get together, that bond of friendship remains, and it's though the passage of time means nothing. And I suspect that uh, most of you have had that experience as well. The second kind of love in the Greek-speaking world of the New Testament is the one that gets all the attention. It's romantic love, kind of love that makes our hearts go pitter-patter, the love that many of our hit songs are about and so many of our movies focus on, the love between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. But it's neither of these loves that is the focus of our passage this morning. This is the love that the Apostle Paul wrote about in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love that never ends. It's the love that Ruth expressed in the Old Testament when she refused to abandon her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's the love that the Good Samaritan showed to that hapless traveler who lay naked and beaten by the side of the road. It's the love that Jesus showed for you And for me, when he hung dying on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that kind of love is more than a feeling. It calls for practical engagement. And so it is that work and love go together in this passage because genuine love invariably shows itself in hands-on, concrete action and self-giving service. And this was the kind of love that was being demonstrated daily in the everyday lives of the congregation of those Hebrews in Rome. So there we have it, work and love. The second pairing that the author puts together, this time in verse 11, is earnestness and hope, earnestness and hope. And once again, hope, like love, needs some defining. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think for most people today, uh, hope is little more than some kind of nebulous wish. And I hope that the weather will improve soon. Well, the weatherman tells us it's not going to tomorrow, at least. Um, I'm hoping for a bigger bonus next Christmas. Uh, Let's hope that COVID will soon be in the past. For the early Christians, however, hope wasn't just that vague pie in the sky when I die, but a driving force that motivated and transformed them in the present. Jeremiah, way back in the Old Testament, uh, has sometimes been called the weeping prophet or the prophet of doom. Over a span of 40 years, he tirelessly reminded the people of Judah that that their disregard for God's laws would bring destruction upon them. Yet, some of the most stirring pictures of hope can also be found in Jeremiah's writings. And one of them came to him uh, one day when he was visiting a potter's workshop it happened that one of the vessels the potter was forming on his wheel began to become misshapen. And What did the potter do? Did he take it off and toss it away? No, he simply continued to work at his wheel and skillfully reworked it. Well, that was an aha moment for Jeremiah. Then he wrote, The word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you what this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And the point is that amid all the mess and all the injustice and wrong of this world, God is still at work. And even when things seem to be going terribly wrong, we are still in the potter's hands. They may even seem to have gone beyond the point of no return. Yet God is sovereign, and he will surely work his purposes, which are only for the good. He will surely work them out. We may think today of the grim situation that's facing the people of Ukraine. As the seemingly unstoppable Russian army, more than 150,000 of them uh, mercilessly pound their cities with bombs and missiles. Yet, they refuse to surrender. They will not give up hope, as the rest of the world watches and waits and prays. And we have to believe that somehow, in the midst of evil and even like that, God is still at work. And it was the same kind of hope that sustained those struggling believers in the Hebrew church in Rome. Christians in those days were held in contempt and all the signs were that their circumstances were only going to become worse. Yet they continued to cling to their hope, to sing their joyful hymns, to pray with conviction, to show acts of mercy, and all with what the author commends as earnestness. That word in Greek means eagerness, effort, never letting things get in the way. And they could do it because deep in their hearts they had the conviction that in the end, and in spite of all appearances, all things do indeed work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. The heroes of these words then were to be commended for their work and love, for their earnestness and hope and now in verse 12 the author, the writer prays that they would not be sluggish that they might never be weary or lose energy in running this race, but that through faith and patience they might finish they might run to the finish line that's the third pairing faith and patience <clears throat> And when you think of it, these two qualities once again go together. They're the two sides of the same coin. Faith in God and his, in his good purposes for us enables us to be faithful in the face of setbacks, disappointments, and pain. If God is really to be trusted, then we can be sure that even in spite of the direst of circumstances, that in the end, God will not let us down even if the end for us is death. For we know that even in death, we shall see him face to face. And as we gather with all the faithful down through the ages, including these Hebrew believers of the first century, and what a joy it will be to meet them, we will be greeted with those welcoming words, well done, good and faithful servant. Centuries before the letter to the Hebrews, the people of Israel faced even more discouraging circumstances. Their city of Jerusalem had been crushed, its glorious temple reduced to rubble, and they themselves had been held in captivity for a generation. It was no wonder that many of them were beginning to question God's purposes. Yet, in the midst of their despondency, God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write these words. shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we do not lose heart, wrote the Apostle Paul. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, if you're like those first Hebrew believers who were the first to hear these words, if you find yourself at times struggling just to barely keep your head above water, I hope that you will take heart from these verses this morning and that by God's grace and by God's power, you may show forth in your life God's priceless gifts of love and hope and faith. Could we bow our heads for a moment in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of encouragement that you gave to those Hebrew believers in Rome so many centuries ago. And we pray that uh, at times of difficulty, at times when we're tempted to uh, give up hope or to fall back, that you would encourage us by your Holy Spirit and that we might know that even in the darkest of times that you are with us and that you shed your light upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. while we turn to the Lord's table together. Dear brothers and sisters, listen to the inviting words of the Lord to his children. Come to me,